Section 1 of A Visit to the Holy Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 1 of A Visit to the Holy Land, Egypt, and Italy, Part 1. By Ida L. Pfeiffer. I had for years cherished the wish to undertake a journey to the Holy Land. Years are, indeed, required to familiarize one with the idea of so hazardous an enterprise. When, therefore, my domestic arrangements at length admitted of my absence for at least a year, my chief employment was to prepare myself for this journey. I read many works bearing on the subject, and was, moreover, fortunate enough to make the acquaintance of a gentleman who had travelled in the Holy Land some years before. I was thus enabled to gain much oral information and advice respecting the means of prosecuting my dangerous pilgrimage. My friends and relations attempted in vain to turn me from my purpose by painting, in the most glowing colors, all the dangers and difficulties which await the traveller in those regions. Men, they said, were obliged gravely to consider if they had physical strength to endure the fatigues of such a journey and strength of mind bravely to face the dangers of the plague, the climate, the attacks of insects, bad diet, etc. And to think of a woman's venturing alone, without protection of any kind, into the wide world, across sea and mountain and plain, it was quite preposterous. This was the idea of my friends. I had nothing to advance in opposition to all this but my firm, unchanging determination. My trust in Providence gave me calmness and strength to set my house in every respect in order. I made my will, and arranged all my worldly affairs in such a manner that, in the case of my death, an event which I considered more probable than my safe return, my family should find everything perfectly arranged. And thus, on the 22nd of March, 1842, I commenced my journey from Vienna. At one o'clock in the afternoon I drove to the Kaisermullen, Emperor's Mills, from which place the steamboats start for Pest. I was joyfully surprised by the presence of several of my relations and friends, who wished to say farewell once more. The parting was certainly most bitter, for the thought involuntarily obtruded itself, should we ever meet again in this world? Our mournful meditations were in some degree disturbed by a loud dispute on board the vessel. At the request of a gentleman present, one of the passengers was compelled, instead of flying, as he had intended, with bag and baggage to Hungary, to return to Vienna in the company of the police. It appeared he owed the gentleman thirteen hundred florins, and had wished to abscond, but was luckily overtaken before the departure of the boat. This affair was hardly concluded when the bell rang, the wheels began to revolve, and too soon, alas, my dear ones were out of sight. I had but few fellow-passengers. The weather was indeed fine and mild, but the season was not far enough advanced to lure travellers into the wide world, excepting men of business, and those who had cosmopolitan ideas like myself. Most of those on board were going only to Pressburg, or at farthest to Pest. The captain, having mentioned that a woman was on board who intended travelling to Constantinople, I was immediately surrounded by curious gazers. A gentleman who was bound to the same port stepped forward, and offered his services in case I should ever stand in need of them. He afterwards frequently took me under his protection. 
the fine mild weather changed to cold and wind as we got fairly out into the great danube i wrapped myself in my cloak and remained on deck in order to see the scenery between vienna and pressburg which no doubt appears lovely enough when nature is clad in the garment of spring but now i saw only leafless trees and fallow ground a dreary picture of winter the hainburg with its old castle on a rock theban with its remarkable fortress and farther on in the large free city of pressburg have all a striking appearance in three hours time we reached pressburg and landed in the neighborhood of the coronation hill an artificial mound on which the king must stand in his royal robes and brandish his sword toward the four corners of the heavens as a token that he is ready to defend his kingdom against all enemies from whatever direction they may approach not far from this hill is situate the handsome inn called the two green trees where the charges are as high if not higher than in vienna until we have passed pest passengers going down the river are not allowed to remain on board through the night march twenty third this morning we continued our journey at six o'clock immediately below pressburg the danube divides into two arms forming the fertile island of schut which is about forty-six miles long and twenty-eight in breadth till we reach gran the scenery is monotonous enough but here it improves beautiful hills and several mountains surround the place imparting a charm of variety to the landscape in the evening at about seven o'clock we arrived at pest unfortunately it was already quite dark the magnificent houses or rather palaces skirting the left bank of the danube and the celebrated ancient fortress and town of ofen on the right form a splendid spectacle and invite the traveller to a longer sojourn as i had passed some days at pest several years before i now only stayed there for one night as the traveller must change steamers here it behooves him to keep a careful eye upon the baggage he has not delivered up at the office in vienna i put up at the hunting horn a fine hotel but ridiculously expensive a little back room cost me forty-five kreutzers about one shilling and eightpence for one night the whole day i felt exceedingly unwell a violent headache accompanied by nausea and fever made me fear the approach of a fit of illness which would interrupt my journey these symptoms were probably a consequence of the painful excitement of parting with my friends added to the change of air with some difficulty i gained my modest chamber and immediately went to bed my good constitution was luckily proof against the attacks of all enemies and waking the next morning on march twenty fourth in tolerable health i betook myself on board our new steamboat the galata of sixty horse-power this boat did not however appear to me so tidy and neat as the mariana in which we had proceeded from vienna to pest our journey was a rapid one at ten o'clock in the morning we were already at fedvar a place which seems at a distance to be of some magnitude but which melts away like a soap-bubble on nearer approach by two o'clock we had reached potts here as at all other places of note we stopped for a quarter of an hour a boat rose off from the shore bringing and fetching back passengers with such marvellous speed that you have scarcely finished the sentence you are saying to your neighbour before he has vanished there is no time even to say farewell 
At about eight o'clock in the evening, we reached the market-town of Mohawks, celebrated as the scene of two battles. The fortress here is used as a prison for criminals. We could distinguish nothing, either of the fortress or the town. It was already night when we arrived, and at two o'clock in the morning of March 25th we weighed anchor. I was assured, however, that I had lost nothing by this haste. Some hours afterwards our ship suddenly struck with so severe a shock that all hastened on deck to see what was the matter. Our steersman, who had most probably been more asleep than awake, had given the ship an unskilful turn, in consequence of which one of the paddles was entangled with some trunks of trees projecting above the surface of the water. The sailors hurried into the boats, the engine was backed, and after much difficulty we were once more afloat. Stopping for a few moments at Delina and Berkara, we passed the beautiful ruin of Count Palfi's castle at about two o'clock. The castle of Iloc, situate on a hill, and belonging to Prince Odescalchi, presents a still more picturesque appearance. At about four o'clock we landed near the little free town of Nusatz, opposite the celebrated fortress of Petervarden, the outworks of which extend over a tongue of land stretching far out into the Danube. Of the little free town of Nusatz we could not see much, hidden as it is by hills, which at this point confine the bed of the river. The Danube is here crossed by a bridge of boats, and this place also forms the military boundary of Austria. The surrounding landscape appeared sufficiently picturesque. The little town of Karlovitz, lying at a short distance from the shore, among the hills covered with vineyards, has a peculiarly good effect. Farther on, however, as far as Semlin, the scenery is rather monotonous. Here the Danube already spreads itself out to a vast breadth, resembling rather a lake than a river. At nine o'clock at night we reached the city of Semlin, in the vicinity of which we halted. Semlin is a fortified place, situate at the junction of the Save with the Danube, it contains thirteen thousand inhabitants, and it is the last Austrian town on the right bank of the Danube. On approaching Semlin, a few small cannons were fired off on board our boat. Unfortunately, the steward did not receive notice of this event early enough to allow of his opening the windows. Consequently, one was shattered. This was a serious misfortune for us, as the temperature had sunk to zero, and all the landscape around was covered with snow. Before leaving Vienna, the cabin stove had been banished from its place, as the sun had sent forth its mild beams for a few days, and a continuance of the warm weather was rashly relied on. On the whole, I would not advise any traveller to take a second-class berth on board a steamer belonging to the Viennese company. A greater want of order than we find in these vessels could scarcely be met with. The traveller whose funds will not permit of his paying first-class fare will do better to content himself with a third-class, i.e., a deck-passage, particularly if he purposes journeying no farther than Mohawks. If the weather is fine, it is more agreeable to remain on deck, watching the panorama of the Danube as it glides past. Should the day be unfavourable, the traveller can go, without ceremony, into the second-class cabin for no one makes a distinction between the second and third class places. During the daytime, at any rate, it is quite as agreeable to remain on deck as to venture below. Travelling down the river from Pest, the women are compelled to pass the night in the same cabin with the men, 
an arrangement as uncomfortable as it is indecorous. Afterwards had some experience of his steamers belonging to the Austrian Lloyds, on whose vessels I always found a proper separation of the two sexes, and a due regard for the comfort of second-class passengers. The cold was so severe that we would gladly have closed every window, but for the close atmosphere engendered by the number of poor people, mostly Jews, who formed the larger portion of passengers on board a Hungarian steamer. When the weather is unfavorable, these men are accustomed to hasten from their third-class places to those of the second-class, where their presence renders it immediately desirable to open every outlet for purposes of ventilation. What the traveller has to endure on board these vessels would scarcely be believed. Uncushioned benches serve for seats by day and for beds by night. A separation of the two sexes is nowhere attempted, not even on board the Ferdinand, in which you enter the Black Sea and are exposed to the merciless attacks of seasickness. Considering the high rate of passage money demanded on this journey, I really think the traveller might expect better accommodation. The first class to Constantinople costs 120 florins, the second 85 florins, exclusive of provisions, and without reckoning the hotel expenses at Pressburg. End of section 1